Welcome to Sermons from Iceland, a podcast that highlights the most recent sermons from Lofstofan Baptista Kirka, a Bible-based church in the Reykjavik, Iceland area. Pastor Gunnar Ingi Gunnarsson and the ministry staff of Lofstofan are grateful that you're joining us for today's study in God's Word as a supplement to your weekly routine of meeting with your local church to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Following was recorded on Sunday, April 10, 2022. Today's message title: Where the Good News of Jesus Meets Conflict. We're going to be starting out. You have your Bibles in Matthew chapter 5, verse 9. Uh, and we're going to be dwelling on this verse as we go into many different verses in the Bible. Um, now, um, if you if you don't have Bibles, there's Bibles in the back over there, ESV translations. Uh, if you don't have a Bible at home, you can take that one with you um, and, and just keep it as your own. So let me let me pray for us. Good to see you guys. Uh, Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We thank you so much for the fact that we have access to your word. And I pray that we would never take it for granted that you've revealed yourself to us. You've revealed yourself to us in creation. We see your majesty in the mountains. We see your power at work. We, we, see, we see your love even at this moral law that you've given us, this consciousness that you've given us. Father, we, we thank you that you've revealed yourself generally in creation and through creation, how awesome you are, that you've revealed yourself personally through your word. Father, I pray that as we remember our brothers and sisters around the world who may not have access to this word, that we would never take it for granted. Father, help us not only have Bibles, help us have Bibles where we live in them. And not only that, we know the letters, that we know the words. May we have transformed hearts. May we have uh, informed minds. May we have strengthened hands that go out and seek to live for your glory, to enjoy you and to, to make you known. Father, I, I want my, my friends and my family to experience the hope that I've gotten to experience in you, the hope that's unshakable throughout any circumstance. And Father, I pray that we would be reminded of this hope that we have. As we talk about how the good news of Jesus meets conflict, I pray that we would be equipped to handle conflict when it comes that we would be equipped with the antidote to not create conflict among us and that we would seek peace because you are the ultimate peacemaker. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, so how is everybody doing? You good? You awake? Yeah, Elliot's awake. Lizzie is laughing. So no, I'm just kidding. Uh, so it's good to be with you. Let me, let me just read this verse. So Matthew 5, Verse nine is in the middle of uh, the sermon. Well, I guess not middle of, it's the start of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus uh, brings the blessed. Uh, and, and what's interesting about this, these blessings that Jesus recounts is not necessarily that there's blessings in uh, hungering and thirsting, for instance, but the blessing is that one day the hunger and thirst will be satisfied, right? And here in verse nine, Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed, that word Greek, the Greek word blessed there can also mean happy. It would be a strange thing to think about it that way. Happy are the peacemakers for they shall be called the sons of God. 
Now, today we are talking about uh, where the good news of Jesus meets conflict. I know for most of us, this is an unfamiliar territory, right? You may have seen conflict among other people in other churches, in other countries, right? You never experienced conflict or been the initiator of conflict, right? That's never been us at all. Uh, but no, we, 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 I think, know what conflict is, right? If you've been married for more than a week, you know what a conflict is. Uh, <laughs> but here, here's the thing. Let me start uh, strangely today with our sermon. Let me start by defining conflict because, uh, well, yeah, let me, let me, uh, this, the first slide should have the definition of conflict, which is, um, well, I'll just read it here. According to the Merriam Webster dictionary, a conflict can be described to fight, right? Anybody recognize that? To fight, to battle or war. It can also be described as competitive or opposing actions of incompatibles antagonistic state or action. These are mouthfuls, right? <laughs> as of divergent ideas or interests or persons. It can also be described as a mental struggle resulting from incompatible or opposing needs, drives, wishes, or external or internal demands. Now, it may be a little weird to start a sermon off with a definition of a word, but here's why I'm doing this. So this week I was checking my own bias um, and so anybody like me here, uh, I'm the type of person who does my best to avoid conflict as much as I humanly possibly can until there is no other way to deal with the situation except to go into conflict that's needed, right? That is my absolute last resort. And so the reason why I, I started looking at, uh, the definition of the word, the synonyms, the anonyms, the uh, etymology of the word and I, I, because I would, I would find these blog posts and I've read books on merits and leadership where they kept on saying these words like conflict is good. Conflict is good. If you're going to be a good team leader, you got to uh, conflict is good in the team uh, lead, uh, you know, leading the team. If you're going to have a healthy merits, then you need conflict. Conflict is good. And I kept on like brushing my beard saying, is it though? <laughs> is conflict good? <laughs> because like I might be biased here, but I don't I don't like conflict. I I kind of wish there wasn't conflict most of the time. I'll do it if I absolutely have to, but it drains me and I don't want it. And so I kept on thinking to myself, is it good? You know? And then I, I had seen uh some people come into my life who, who came with this idea, man. It's like, yeah, I love conflict. I just absolutely love conflict and, and, uh, and I'm so super comfortable with it. And, uh, and then I would see them go on to hurt other people and just kind of behave like jerks, honestly. And so I was like, it, it increased my suspicion. Is conflict really something that we should aim for? Is it something that a person should be so comfortable with that they actually like conflict? So, so me being the square person that I am, I go to the Bible and I look at, okay, what does the Bible have to say about conflict? And it turns out uh, it's not talked about very often, but where it is talked about in the Bible in modern translations, there isn't a whole lot of positive things to say about conflict. And then I go to the dictionary and I find what the dictionary says about conflict. And that seems negative too. And like, for instance, you know what the opposite of conflict is? The antonym to conflict? Peace, <laughs> right? 
And so I thought about the, you know, the people that I had met who said, you know, I'm just the type of person who loves conflict. And I think, okay, what if they use the antonym? What if they said, Gunnar, I'm just the type of person who hates peace. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> you know? that, doesn't, that doesn't sound really good at all. So here, this is why I started with our verse today, Matthew 5, verse 9. We are called to be peacemakers. And why? What is the blessing that comes with us being peacemakers? It's that we are called sons or children of God. Notice the word peacemakers. It doesn't say, Gunnar, you're called to hope for peace or pray for peace or, or wish for peace. No, it, it has this intentionality behind it where it's like, no, we as Christians are called to walk into a situation and make peace. Where there is no peace, we are the ones who bring peace. We make peace. And why are we blessed if we are peacemakers? For if we are the ones who bring peace into conflict, who bring healing into war, we will be called the children of God. Now, I don't know if you've noticed this. Children tend to bear similarities with their parents, right? No. <laughs> yeah, so who said that? <laughs> okay. It's like, it's, well, I'll let... You, uh, you guys settle that after the service. Um, <laughs> no. um, but here, here, here's the, here's the thing. Like even, so my wife, she's, she's, she's adopted from Costa Rica and it's been very interesting. People, people who know her, who know her family, who know her story that she's adopted have, uh, a few times throughout her life said, wow, Swava, you look just like your mom. And, and she's mentioned it a few times. Like, why would they say that? They know I'm adopted from another country. Why would they say that? But here's the thing, just growing up with her mom. Yeah, some of the similarities come from genetics, right? Like I got the big nose from my dad and, you know, and I, I, I pray for him, you know, and, I, and I'm praying, thank you, Father, for this big nose. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but some of it comes through just nurture, right? So, so the people that have said to my wife, you look just like your mom, have seen the way she acts, the way she talks, the way she reacts to a situation and said, wow, your mom has left an imprint on your life. So in light of Matthew 5, 9, we're called to be peacemakers, not peace hopers, not peace prayers, peacemakers. For then we will be called the children of God. Well, here's the thing saying, if we are the ones who bring peace into chaos, and healing into war, we bear the marks of our father who sent his son, Jesus, to be the ultimate peacemaker, right? And so Ephesians chapter two, and for those of you who know me really well, it's like, are you really going to verse eight through 10? No, I'm actually going through verses 12 to 14 today. Let me read this to you. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of the promise. Anybody in here Jewish? No, no, <laughs> Elliot. See, we're all in here because we've been adopted into the family of God, right? Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ, Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall 
of hostility. Now notice this, in Jesus, he has brought peace by bringing to end our conflict with God. The text says, you who were once far off have been brought near. We were once rebels of God. We were once rebels against the kingdom of God. And now we've been adopted as his sons and daughters. How crazy is that transformation? Once enemies and now sons and daughters, but also in bringing us towards himself, what he's done, he's also brought down the dividing wall that was between all of us. He's brought down all the things that could separate us from one another. Back then, the dividing wall was, oh, we are Israelites. We are descendants of Abraham. We are heirs of the promise. And these are the filthy Gentiles, right? That was the dividing wall of hostility back then in the church. The church had to go through a lot, just trying to figure out what Christianity looked like going forward. But we, I don't know if you notice this, we're really good at finding other ways to argue with one another, right? We're really good at finding other reasons to hurt one another, to fight and so on. We can use politics, right? We can walk out of here today and we're like, oh, you're a lefty, you know? Or you're a righty, you're like, we can fight over that. We can, we can use uh, skin color to divide us. We can use wealth to divide us. Oh, you're not upper class like me. You're, you need to stay away from me or whatever. We can use education or culture or nationality or tribal identities, heck, even music, right? Because people who like country music deserve to be shunned, right? We all agree on that. <laughs> no, but we can, we, we just leave it up to us, man. If, if we find a way to, to get rid of one dividing wall of hostility, man, there's a hundred others that we can put in its place and keep arguing and keep fighting and keep tearing at each other's throats. But in Jesus, we have been brought to God and our war with God has been replaced by peace. And because we found our ultimate identity in him, like Elliot was talking about last week, all of a sudden, the other stuff where we used to find our worth and value in, where we used to find our identity in, be it our passport, our nationality, our languages, our socioeconomic status, whatever it is, all of a sudden, that has been replaced by our ultimate identity, that we are sons and daughters of God. And we are reflecting whose children we are. We are bearing the marks of our father in the way that we behave. And let me tell you this. When we walk out of here today, the world around us. Okay, let's not even think about the rest of the world. Let's think about the street that this church building is located in. No one in this street is really making an effort to come in here to hear what we have to say. There's probably no one in this street that's listening in on the live stream right now. Probably no one in this street subscribing to our podcast to listen to our shows and, and whatever else we have to say. The country at large, it's, it's the same thing. No one is really making an effort to come in here to hear what we have to say. You know what's going to be piquing people's interest? If we actually show them by our living, by our lives, that there's something more to the things that we have than just mere words or another good sermon. If we want them to listen, we have to be ready to preach with our lives as well as with our words before they listen to anything that we have to say, 
they will evaluate if it's worth listening to by looking at you, by looking at me. So they may never crack open their Bibles. No crazy fact about Iceland. We have 1 million copies of the Icelandic Bible somewhere in Iceland. Each Icelander probably has three different Bibles sitting on shelves, collecting dust, and they will never crack open that Bible. But they're looking at you. They're looking at me. They're looking at us. Before, they, before they're willing to hear what we have to say, they're, they're looking at us to evaluate, is it worth listening to? Or is it just another idea in a sea of ideas? But before we jump into some of the ways that the Bible challenges us to change our lives, let's first ask this question. So if the Bible talks about conflict in a negative sense, if the def- definition of the word is negative in its nature, um, why is it that some people talk about conflict like it's a good thing, right? Um, like this is prevalent, like I said, in leadership books and marriage books. Um, like I-, I just ran into so many blogs as-, as I was preparing for the sermon, checking my own biases that said, you know, marriage blogs talking about, oh, if, you, if, if you're gonna have a healthy marriage, you need conflict, right? And I just, I kept on like, again, brushing my beard saying, really though? Is that really the case? Uh, and they t- kept talking about it like it's a good thing. Uh, like um, what, they, what they meant was to, you know, talk through like leadership books. When they said conflict is good on teams, what it seemed to mean to me was that they meant that, man, we need to know if we're going to have a team of people working together, we need to know how to disagree, how to talk things through, how to brainstorm together, how to take the good ideas from this person and the bad ideas from this person and, and put them all in so that we are good as a team. So obviously when we say that we as a church want to be peacemakers and we, won't, we don't want to go out here into the rest of the world to create conflict or create conflict among ourselves, I'm not saying that we should never disagree with one another or that we should never disagree with anybody outside the church. That's not what we mean by peacemakers. But the truth is we can have disagreement with people. We can have disagreement amongst ourselves and still not be in conflict with one another. But then I would run into this other things where people would talk about conflict being a good thing because sometimes conflict is necessary, right? And that's true. If someone threatens the safety of people that I love or that you love, sometimes there's necessary conflict that has to take place, right? We have to step up and protect those under our care. But just because it's necessary at times doesn't mean it's good, right? Sometimes war is necessary, right? Sometimes we have to fight against evil, but that doesn't make war good, right? Can we all agree on that? And so just because conflict can sometimes be necessary doesn't mean it's good. And yet others, they talked about conflict as it was a good thing because you could learn from it, right? But you can learn from so many things that are not good. (laughs) Most of my life has been learning lessons through all the stupid stuff that I did, right? That's been most of my lessons in life. Like in marriage, yeah, it's true that all marriages have conflict. But the only good thing about a conflict in your marriage is if you actually get over the conflict. And if someone comes up to me after the service, like, yeah, you know what, Gunnar? It is good. Every healthy marriage has conflict. And our marriage is so healthy that we've basically been at war with one another for 15 years now. You know, like, 
it's probably not a good thing. <laughs> That's probably not a good thing. The only good thing about a conflict in marriage, yeah, you can learn from it. You can learn to listen better, to understand the other person better. But the only good thing is if you actually get over the conflict, over the war and peace takes its place. And so with that in mind, I, I, wanted, I want us to dive into three things that we go into. Number one, what is it that causes conflict? Number two, what are the antidotes that the Bible gives us to avoid conflict? And number three, when conflict does arrive, how does the Bible tell us to handle it? And so in a fallen world, there are lots of things that can contribute to conflict. Uh, personality differences, right? Why can't everybody just think like me? Why, why do I have to deal with these people who just can't behave like me and expect things like me? Misunderstandings can cause conflict. This is like, this is, this is my specialty right here. I cause misunderstandings all the time through, through things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, unspoken expectations. We'll go a little bit into what that looks like or even just attributing motives to people. Like, here, here's the thing. In, a, in an age of social media, now here, I'm kind of describing how, how square I am as a person. But like, if someone sends me a message that doesn't have a question mark in it, I think to myself, oh, I don't need to answer, right? Because there's no question in it. Doesn't need a reply. And I've read the message. And especially ever that, since that scene thing came, man, I wonder how many breakups have been just because of that scene part of that message. But yeah, I've read the message. I've seen them, as the Icelanders say, oh, I've seen them. Uh, and, and then I, was, I just thought to myself, there's no question in there. I don't have to answer. So I put my phone away and, and then I run into that person weeks later and they are furious at me, right? So there you have, for instance, personality differences that are taking place. You have misunderstandings. You have unspoken expectations. Hey, I sent you a message at least to respond with a thumbs up or an emoji or something like that. You have attributing motives. All of a sudden they're thinking, oh, Gunnar just saw my message and it didn't say anything. He must hate me, you know? Uh, they, they have no idea. Maybe it's just my kids were screaming in the background or something like that. And so that's so much that can cause conflict. And this happens in marriages. You know, unspoken expectations is one of the biggest things in conflict in our marriage. You know, I would come home and I was like, I was, I expected to have my introvert time just to be by myself. Svava was like, oh, we're finally married. I get to have a person around me all the time. And I was like, oh, this is, this is not what I had in mind, <laughs> right? Or, you know, one of us comes home and we're just super tired and we were really hoping that the other person had cleaned up the kitchen or something like that. We never talked about it, right? We had unspoken expectations. This can happen in friendships as well. Man, if he or she doesn't text me at least three times today, they are ignoring me, they hate me, they are neglecting our friendship. There's so many unspoken expectations. There's so many attributing motives that take place that can cause conflict in a broken world. But there's also other stuff that creates conflict, right? Someone not following the rules. Like, have you ever been at a, a line and someone tries to cut? <laughs> that infuriates people. <laughs> That's going to cause conflict with Chris. So no one, no one for the communion later on, no one cut. No, I'm just kidding. Um, Two people in competition with each other, right? That can seeking power over one another or just the pressure of life. 
or being sensitive, right? For those of you with feelings, you know, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, and people can just be having a bad day, a bad week, a bad year, and you don't need to do anything to blow them up except to say, how's your day? They go, how's my day? <laughs> There's so much stuff that can cause conflict. But when you boil it all down, most conflict can be attributed to very high view of oneself and a lack of humility or a very low view of other people and expecting the worst from them without checking your bias or your unfair assumptions. And so in light of that, if most conflict arises from a high view of myself and a lack of humility and low view of other people and attributing motives to them that are unfair, what is the antidote that we have in the Bible as to how to not cause conflict in the church or for us as Christians as we go into the world? And I think it's this, it's gospel motivated humility and love. Now, this stuff may sound as basic as like, oh, I'm supposed to be humble and love people. <laughs> sounds like, sounds like, hey, don't lie. Right? That's a fairly easy concept to understand. But then when your good friend asks you, how was dinner that I just made you? <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> it's like, all of a sudden it becomes very difficult not to lie. <laughs> right? Right? So let's run quickly through a bunch of verses that encourage us to think differently from the world in order to minimize and kill conflict and war among us so that we can be on the same page as to what we're seeking. And the first verse I want to jump into is John 13, 34. And Jesus says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. And again, I want to emphasize the antidote to conflict among us is not simply that we change our behavior or have humility in general. It's gospel motivated humility. It's not simply like, like this verse. It doesn't just say that you love one another. It says, just as I have loved you, now you love one another. Remind yourself when you're tempted to lose your temper at a person that Jesus, Jesus died on a cross for them. Jesus laid down his life for them, right? He loved them that much and he did that for you as well. Can, can I then, if I'm reminded of this good news of Jesus, can I extend grace to them as I remember the grace extended to me and extended to them as well through Christ? It's not just to love or to have humility, it's to remind yourself of the gospel that produces love and humility. And, and, you know, think about this. What, what does love look like? Uh, in Romans 12, 10, it says, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. <laughs> Has anybody taken that challenge up yet? And how weird would it be if, if people would walk in among us and in a world that's seeking to gain honor and to gain respect, all of a sudden they walk into a community of weirdos like us who are trying to outdo one another into showing honor and respect to one another. Love, and I love this. I think it was C.S. Lewis that's, that put it this way. Love is not to think less of yourself. It's not that you walk out of here today and like, I am a worm, I am horrible, and therefore I should love other people because they're awesome. No. 
Love is not to think less of yourself, it's to think of yourself less because you think of Jesus more, right? Romans 12, 10, love one another with brotherly affection. And for some of us, you, you grew up with uh, brotherly affection and it wasn't actually very affectionate at all, right? <laughs> but love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Again, if the reason for our conflict is a high view of ourselves and expecting the worst from others, gospel-motivated humility and love says, no, I'm not thinking less of myself. I'm going to think of myself less in light of, of Jesus. He deserved all honor, all glory, and yet he laid down his life. In a world that seeks its own, let us seek to let go of ourselves. Hebrews 12, 14 says, strive to live in peace with everybody. Strive to live in peace with everybody. And when we're tempted to let our thirst for power and our goals be the reason we go to war with one another around us, one of my favorite verses is Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. It says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. The only way for us to have this supernatural love is if it arises from the fact that we know that we are loved by God and our identity is what Elliot talked about last week. Our identity is found in him and him alone. Now I've told my kids quite a lot when other kids are mean to them at school. How many of you do this? Same thing with your kids. Cause I didn't believe it as a kid. My mom and dad would always, you know, when I met someone who was mean, who would like slap me or, or was mean to me at school, I would tell my mom and dad and they'd be like, oh, he just feels bad. Probably he's just going through stuff and, and we should pray for him. We should seek to love him. Maybe buy him a gift. And I always hated them. I was like, this is so stupid, mom <laughs> or dad. Just give me boxing lessons. You know? <laughs> uh, but now I, I'm, I'm that guy now. <laughs> where, where, you know, one of my kids comes home from school. I say it also comes home and she's like, well, they were mean with their words. And I'm like, well, maybe they just feel bad. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe they're going through some stuff at home or I don't know. How about we try to figure out a way to love them and let's pray for them tonight as we go to bed. And, and I'm sure she's thinking the same stuff I used to think. It's like, this is so stupid. <laughs> I just need to slap this kid. Right. <laughs> um, but it's so interesting because I was thinking about it as I was thinking about this, when I was thinking about outdo one another and show an honor, don't think of yourself too highly, uh, consider others more important than yourself. Because I was thinking about this because it makes sense. A lot of kids do act up and they are bad because there's stuff going on in their lives, right? And we think this logic makes sense when the kids are small, but somehow somewhere in the years from six to 20, this concept is gone. Right? All of a sudden, when a 20-year-old is behaving in a bad way or having bursts of anger or saying mean words or just being rude or a jerk, all of a sudden, we don't give him that benefit of the doubt anymore. I tell my kids to, hey, let's pray for them. But if someone does that to me at bonus, I'm like, I'm thinking of other ways to lay on, on hands, right? <laughs> no, I mean, you know, it's like, I, all of a sudden that's out the window, that logic of maybe that person, maybe he or she can be going through some stuff. 
and and how often like I've I'm in the mindset I'm always in the wrong and there's nothing that excuses this behavior. Yeah, that's probably right. There's nothing that excuses that behavior. But man, there may be stuff going on in their lives that I just got to walk into and see a glimpse of of how they're feeling. And maybe that's God using me as an instrument of grace in this situation. Brothers and sisters, conflict, unfortunately, is one of those sins that we as Christians tend to be very comfortable with. Right? It's so sad inside the church and outside the church. Like there are laughable scenarios that have divided churches in Iceland. We're talking about colors of carpets. We're talking about, you know, like it's stuff that doesn't matter. There's nothing in the Bible about what kind of color of carpet a church should have or, or anything like that. That's ruined the churches. We are so good at conflict. And it's one of those things that we are so comfortable with it, both inside the church and outside the church. But the reality is, once you start to compare a conflict to what we're called to in the Christian life, you start to realize that conflict is the antithesis to the Christian behavior and the Christian ethic. Right? Think about conflict and compare it to the fruit of the spirit, for instance. In Galatians 5, 22 to 23, it says, and this is what the spirit of God does in us and it produces in our lives. The fruit of the spirit is love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Do you feel like those line up really well with conflict? <laughs> and again, I was trying to check my biases here because I really, really don't like conflict at all. And I'm like, maybe I'm just a sissy, you know, and I just need to, maybe I just need to, need to like conflict more. But I'm like, I'm looking at these. And I'm like, no, this doesn't seem to jive very well. And yet I was kind of cut to the heart because we in the church and Christians at large, we tend to get into conflict a lot. And I was just, all of a sudden cut to the heart of flirting with this sin that sent our savior die and suffer on a cross for us. Let us love and respect the people he died to save. He died. Like look, look at the people around you. Look at the people, like literally look, look at the people. <laughs> look at these people. Yeah. They may have had a bad day on Wednesday. Jesus died for you. Jesus died for the people sitting in this room, right? Can I extend grace when they're having a bad Wednesday, right? And just say, Jesus died for them. I think I can let this go, this mean comment or whatever else. I think I'm going to let my, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to extend grace like Jesus did for them and for me because we've all been there, right? Let us not think less of ourselves but to think of ourselves less, just as our savior Jesus did what he laid down his, when he laid down his life for us. And now lastly, how does the Bible tell us when we have to have conflict? Because sometimes that's just, there's this person who walks around and just refuses not to, refuses not to have conflict. Is that how you said? There's <laughs> a lot of knots. Refuses to have peace, right? Um, yeah, do we just let them sort of trample all over us? Or, you know, what do we do? There's where Matthew 18 comes in that informs us how we as Christians and how we as the church should deal with conflict and how, <clears throat> how we aim to deal with it in our church. Matthew 18, 15 through 17 says this, if, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault 
between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Okay, so there's a few things I want to deal with here. So how do we deal with conflict? This is a crazy, radical idea. Jesus is saying that if someone hurts you, we should talk about it, right? Radical concept, right? (laughs) Radical concept. Don't stew in it. Don't let it ruin your day or your week or your month. If someone sins against you, go and talk to that person. Go and talk to them about the issue. Don't bring it up as a prayer request, also known as the Christian way to gossip. Right? You won't believe what Johanna said to me. <laughs> right? Johanna's the worst example. <laughs> uh, don't, don't go and ask me to go and talk to them for you. Oh, but don't tell them it came from me. By the way, that's the worst uncomfortable scenario that a pastor finds himself in. So I'm supposed to talk to them about a trouble, but I can't tell them that anybody told me about it, then, okay, <laughs> let me figure out a way. Don't go and talk to them. If, if they won't listen, take someone else with you and talk things through. Lastly, if they won't listen to them, bring it to the church to deal with it. This is, where, this is why it's important that we have church membership to know actually who's a part of this church and who's not. <laughs> you know, who am I responsible to take care of and give oversight to and who am I not? And if they refuse to repent, then we have to remove them as members in the church, right? Because that's, I mean, the, the only way that we can evaluate the, if someone is a Christian is not or not, is not that they have a perfect life. Anybody in here have a perfect life yet? No? It's that we have repentance. When we fail, we turn to God and we run to him again. And if someone refuses to repent, then we have to remove him from the church. Now, what does that mean? Because in Iceland, if you haven't been looking at media, there's been a big talk about spiritual abuse. And I think a couple of weeks ago, they did a story about the Jehovah's Witnesses. And, and what, is, what does that mean? If we refuse to let someone be a member, do we stop them from coming to services? Nope, not at all. Everyone is welcome to come to our services uh, as long as they don't disrupt the gatherings. Everybody's welcome. You don't have to even share our faith. You don't have to have our background or share our lifestyle. It's simply a means that you can't be a member of the church. You can't vote on members meetings. You can't be a part of having a say in where the church is headed because one of the ways that we evaluate if you're a Christian or not is if you live in repentance and if you're not a Christian or showing signs of Christianity, then we can't let you be a part of leading or saying where the church is going. Now, does that mean we don't talk to you? Nope. Notice in verse 17, he says, if he refuses to listen to them, go tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. What does that mean? Sounds really bad, right? So we should not like people who work for the IRS. That's biblical. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, What that meant back in that day is that, hey, you you were outside the faith. Tax collectors were very corrupt, think they were working with the occupation, the Romans, to actually collect taxes from the Jewish people. So they were kind of betraying their own people. And a lot of them would earn money by 
exaggerating the taxes. So they would take some for themselves. Does that mean we don't talk to them? No. Look at the top over there. Notice the name? Matthew. You know what he used to be? A tax collector. <laughs> exactly. Until Jesus came to him and he repented and turned to Jesus and followed him. So when he says here that we ought to treat people who are unrepentant as Gentiles and tax collector, he's not saying hate them or shun them. He's saying, no, seek to share the gospel with them. Seek to share the love of Jesus with them. Show them the love of Jesus with the hope that they would repent and return back to the fold. So in the unfortunate case where someone does not cease to cause conflict among the church, we must no longer recognize him or her as a Christian and remove them from membership with the end goal in mind of loving them, sharing the love of Jesus with them and showing them the love of Jesus with the hope that they would return to the fold. And praise God, but we worship God because he left his throne room in heaven to approach us in the mud. But that is the peacemaker that Jesus is, the one example that we're supposed to follow. And this is the love that we are supposed to copy towards others. The good news, it informs us how we should think of ourselves and how we should think of others and how we should handle conflict. And we are to be careful not to be the ones causing conflict, but to partake in conflict only when needed and to seek to do it in a godly and biblical manner because of the example of Jesus, because of his love. And as we do every week, we remind ourselves of the cross. Because at the cross, the love of Jesus is seen on display. He hung there, not because he was forced to, but because he laid down his life for us. This is the example that we're supposed to follow and to emulate in the most difficulty of, uh, difficult of circumstances dealing with the most difficult people, right? He prayed for the people, nailing him to that tree. That's the radical love that we're supposed to display towards one another and towards the people outside this church. And here's the thing, I, I remind you again, this country is not interested in what we have to say. It's not. And it won't be interested in what we have to say until they see something different about us. Unfortunately, it's just, and unfortunately, there's been little of that. Unfortunately, there's a bad track record of conflict happening inside the church and among Christians outside the church. We are known more for what we're against than what we're for. We're, we are known for, for our brazen uh, way of trying to gain power and control people. Unfortunately, it's like, well, Jesus laid a perfect example for us. And we've all failed in this. Maybe, maybe you're not thinking about other people, right? All those Christians out there, that's such a bad example. But we've, we've been a part of this. But man, there's grace in Jesus. And we get another opportunity, another week where our worship doesn't stop here. We go into this week, continuing to worship our savior. So let's remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross, the blood that was shed for us, the body that was broken for us as we go into this week and we seek to copy his love to others. But let's read together uh, the Great Commission as we go into the week and remember what our goal is in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Amen. What a great promise. And Hebrews, uh, do we have that verse? Yeah. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead, our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Father, I pray that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear what you're doing around us, that we would seek to uh, be the peacemakers we talked about today, that we would seek to reflect you to the people around us in our pursuit of peace and restoration. Father, I pray that you would use us as instruments of mercy in your hands. And I pray that ultimately you would give us examples to uh, give us opportunities to show your grace, uh, to display your grace to others, but also to speak of your grace. Father, I thank you for uh, the opportunities that you gave to some of us just this week, talking about people with uh, about the faith. I pray that you would uh, work in their lives. We know that your word does not um, come back empty and we pray that you would give them uh, the hope that we found in you. Father, be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to Sermons from Iceland, a weekly podcast highlighting the Sunday teaching ministry of Lofstofan Baptiste Kirka in Reykjavik, Iceland. If you have a desire to see the gospel spread in Iceland, consider partnering with The Iceland Project. For more information, go to theicelandproject.org. If you live in Iceland or plan on visiting Iceland soon, make plans to worship with us at 11 a.m. on Sundays. Our address is Fagrating 2A, Kopavar, only 7 miles or 12 kilometers southeast of downtown Reykjavik. You can reach Pastor Gunnar via the Lofstofan Facebook page or by email. His address is lofstofan at lofstofan.is. Join us next week for another Bible-based and Jesus-centered message on Sermons from Iceland. Iceland.